0: of our objection series. And in this series, we're exploring some of those big objections that people have to the Christian faith. Can anybody tell me what we explored last week? Christian hypocrisy. One of the biggest objections that are out there. So when Christians don't act like Christ, people who are non-Christians go, why would I want that? Why would I want to believe in your God? Why would I want to have that kind of faith? Because apparently it's not working for you. So last week I said that Jesus hates Christian hypocrisy. So if you hate Christian hypocrisy, then you're in good company. And if you are a Christ follower, we should work hard to make sure our hypocrisy doesn't push somebody away from the God who loves them deeply. And if you aren't a Christ follower... My challenge to you last week was don't let some hypocrisy of some people who aren't living the way that God wants them to live to hold you back from knowing the God who loves you dearly. Look beyond that to get to know him. Next week, we're going to try to address the issue of if God exists, then why do bad things happen? And that's a real common thing that that people have as an objection. People who are Christ followers and aren't Christ followers share that question. The week after that, we're going to look at this exclusive message that Christianity has. It says it is the only way to eternal life. And some people say, you know, that's a little narrow-minded. Like, aren't there other ways? We like options. There should be all kinds of ways. And yet, Christianity says there's only one way. So is that a fair to say. And then the following week, we're going to look at science and the Bible. There are people who are science people and say, you know, I'm a person of fact. I need facts. I need evidence for me to believe something. Then there are people of faith who say, you know what, like I'm more of a person of faith and I believe in scripture. I I believe in Christianity. And sometimes people say, you know what, if I'm a fact person, I can't be a faith person. A faith person really can't be a fact person. And that's an objection that people have towards Christianity. So we're going to look at some of the facts and some of the faith that we can have when it comes to Christianity. So if you know somebody who has these types of objections, I encourage you to invite them to this uh, series. You can also encourage them to listen to our website. So we've got our podcast there, or our iTunes account. Um, you can listen to our messages on either of those different platforms if you happen to miss one of these or if you wanna encourage somebody else to catch one of these when they're not able to be here. Now, today, we're gonna talk about a really big objection that people have to Christianity and that is God's existence, There are a lot of folks that say, you know what, I need evidence. I kind of need proof. And without proof, I'm not so sure I can believe in God. And if I don't have that proof, I come to the conclusion that God must not exist. There's a whole lot of people out there that that have that thought. So today I'm going to offer some things that I think prove the existence of God. You may or may not agree with me. If you don't agree with me, I hope you'll chew on these things. I hope you'll chew on them all week long and and maybe all month long and maybe wrestle with them a little bit and, and, and try to understand why would I offer these as proofs for the existence of God? But I actually believe there's more than just a few. I think there are an infinite number of proofs for the existence of God. The more I look around our world, I see evidence for God everywhere. And I think many of us, myself included, often overlook some of the evidence that is there. So I want us to explore a little bit of that evidence today. Now, as we begin, I want you to brainstorm with me. Let's think out loud together. So what are some reasons why people have a hard time believing in God? And it may be your reason. You may be here today as a new person saying, you know what, that's my objection. So maybe you're offering your own objection or you're offering someone else's objection. You say, you know I know people that have this objection because of God's existence. So what are some reasons people find it hard to believe in God? Ignorance. Ignorance. So, not, so knowledge. Okay. Lack of knowledge. Can't see him. Is that what somebody said? So I can't see him with my, my own eyes. That's a big objection. College classes. College classes. So we're we're taught in some of our college ca- classes information that is opposite to belief in God. Yeah. Anybody else? Fear. Fear. How about um, somebody have one? Why do you let bad things happen? There you go. There's a big one. If bad things are happening, then why in the world would a loving God exist? He doesn't answer. So, those moments that I pray and and he doesn't answer uh, makes me believe that he's not there. I'm calling, he's not answering. So, that's a struggle. Anybody else? Great. I think you captured a lot of those things that are out there. As I was preparing for this message, I did some research, read a, a bunch of different articles by people who claim to be atheists and why they say they've come to the conclusion there is no God. And I found those articles very fascinating and some of them very well-written and I found some of those articles very similar to each other. So they shared some some commonality. So listen to to one article that stood out to me. It's written by Vince Reyes and he writes a blog on a website called thecoffeelicious.com. So I think he might like coffee. So he offers uh, several things for him that hold him back from believing in God. Here's the first one. He says, you know, I don't believe in God because I can be good without God. He says, I don't need to believe in God or to be a religious person to be a good person. And so for him, he says, that means God is not necessary. Second thing he says is the Bible isn't enough evidence for him to prove God. He says, you know, the Bible's a good book, not 100% accurate. So why would we look to something that's not 100% accurate in his eyes to prove God? Then he says he doesn't believe in God because we aren't all that special in the universe. Says so he looks around the world, looks around the universe, and he says, wow, the universe is so vast, we are so insignificant, then there must not be a God. And then he said he has too many unanswered questions to believe in God. And his unanswered questions pushed him past the point of no return and he became an atheist and he said, listen, I just, I can't look back because I didn't get the answers that I needed and I crossed that threshold. So I think Mr. Reyes has uh, clearly articulated articulated and captured well some of the the statements that that people say that, you know, I can't believe in God because of these things. And I would like to explore some of the proofs that I'm going to offer today in light of this article that Mr. Reyes has, has presented. So we're going to revisit this several times. So the first proof that I'd like to suggest today for God's existence is the existence of morality in the world. I think human morality points to the fact that morality came from somewhere. Our morality came from somewhere. And I would say more than just somewhere, I think it came from someone. And I know Mr. Reyes would most likely disagree with where I'm suggesting that morality comes from. And he said, listen, I don't need to believe in God. I don't need to be a religious person to be a good person. And I agree with him. You don't have to believe in God to be a good person. You can be a a good person without that belief. But listen to what James chapter one says. Verse 17 says, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. So I believe our desire and our ability to be good comes from God. I don't think we can be good without God because God placed that desire within us. God placed within us a moral code, a sense of right and wrong. And we may say, well, I don't believe in God, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't exist, and that doesn't mean that God hasn't placed that morality inside of us. Now, listen to this interesting thing every culture in the world has a moral code, every culture in the world has a list of rights and wrongs. No matter where you go in the world, that group of people has a list of rights and wrongs. We may disagree with different cultures around the world, but every culture has a moral code. When I was very young, my parents became full-time missionaries. So my parents uh, left their jobs and joined an organization that had its primary purpose to tell people about Jesus around the world. And the organization that they joined specialized in reaching unreached people groups. So people that live in very primitive, remote, tribal settings. And take a look at this picture of one guy that that organization reached for Christ. And we're talking about people who have never seen anybody outside of their section of the jungle. And can you imagine then them seeing some, some white missionaries walking in? to reach them for Christ. So this man and his community was reached for Christ because of that organization my parents were a part of. And the interesting thing I found about that in my experience over most of my life of looking at different cultures around the world is that every culture around the world, even very primitive cultures, even cultures that practice cannibalism, they have a moral code. They have a list of right and wrongs. And again, we may say, well, I don't know that that's right. I don't know that this is right. I think this is more right and this is more wrong. But I think the fact that we all have this innate wiring, this innate sense of right and wrong points to our morality coming from somewhere. And I would suggest that it comes from someone, that it comes from God himself. And I think we have a responsibility than to link our morality to God's morality since he placed that morality in us. And here's how we can do this. We can link our morality to God's morality by reading and applying the Bible to our lives. And if you're a person who says, listen, I like really have a hard time with Christianity, I have a really hard time believing in God, you would probably say, Well, I have a really hard time believing in the Bible. How can you offer that as a suggestion for how we can link our morality to God or even possibly prove God's existence? But for me, the Bible is another proof for God's existence. The Bible offers us a way to know God, to know his will, and to know the morality that he desires us to live by. So listen to what 2 Timothy says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So I think God offered us the Bible as a way for us to learn the moral code. he's placed within us. So again, I think it is a proof of God's existence. I understand that you may have some doubts about that. I've had some doubts in my own life about that. But the more that I have studied the Bible, the more I've seen how amazing of a book it really is. So here's a snapshot of the Bible. The Bible contains what we call 66 different books. And people go, why do you got 66 books in a book? That sounds weird. It, it, It does sound weird. I get it. We've got 66 different letters, 66 different books contained in one book. We've got over 40 different authors who wrote over a 1,500 year time frame, and that book contains one story of God's incredible love for humanity. Now, that story of God's love goes back thousands of years. So let me take you back 4,000 plus years. So, God came to a man named Abram, and his name later became Abraham. And he said to Abraham, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to bless the entire world through your descendants. And Abraham said, one problem. I don't have any descendants. I don't have any kids. God goes, that's okay. I can fix that. So God fixed that. And he and his wife, Sarah, then gave birth to a little baby boy. And then that family started to grow. And then in a time of famine, that family left the land of Canaan and went down to Egypt, and they were a group of 70. While they're in Egypt, they blossomed a little bit to about 2 million. So about 2 million, the, um, the pharaoh of Egypt got a little worried, said, this group has now outnumbered us, and if they decide to overtake us, they probably can, so let's put them into slavery. So the Israelites lived in slavery for 400 years years. And they cried out to God for help. And God sent Moses. Moses went down to free them. And God did some supernatural things to free the Israelites from the slavery in Egypt. As they left Egypt, God was leading them to what is called the promised land, the the modern day land of Israel. And God led them in that direction and he taught them how to live in a right relationship with himself. So so understand the context of what's happening there. We've got the Israelites who have lived as slaves for 400 years. All they know is slavery. They don't know how to live as a nation. And so God says, I'm going to teach you how to live as a nation. I'm going to teach you how to represent me to the world. And so God taught them. And he spoke to Moses and he said, Moses, write these things down and tell the people how to live this way. So Moses wrote all those things down and they became part of the Old Testament, part of the Bible. Listen to what Leviticus chapter 26, verse 46 says about those instructions. It says, these are the decrees, regulations, and instructions that the Lord gave through Moses on Mount Sinai. What's the next two words? As evidence. As evidence as evidence of the relationship between himself and the Israelites. So God's word is offered as evidence of God and the relationship that he desires to have with us. So I truly believe that the Bible is another proof for the existence of God. Another thing that holds people back from belief in God is the vastness of the universe and our seeming insignificance in it. Now, the guy that I referenced earlier, Vince Reyes, on his blog post where he wrote this article about his not believing in God, um, he has this picture uh, on that post. And I know it's a little bit hard to see with the lights on, but it's a picture of a starry night. And so he says, listen, I look out into the universe with the Hubble telescope and all the technology that we have. And as I look out in the universe, I conclude the universe is so vast. We are so insignificant. There must not be a God. And he's not the only one that looks at things like this and comes to that conclusion. Anybody familiar with the name Carl Sagan? Raise your hand if you know the name Carl Sagan. So about half of our crowd. So let me explain who Carl Sagan is if you don't know him. Carl Sagan was an American astronomer who became popular in the 80s because of a PBS TV series that he had called Cosmos, a personal voyage. So he was exploring the universe as we knew it at that time. And out of that exploration, he said, You know what? I I conclude there just cannot be a God. So here's one of the things that helped him to get to that conclusion. In 1990, A satellite that we had launched out that got to about 6 billion kilometers away from the earth decided to take a picture of the earth. It took about five hours to download that picture. And here's what that picture looks like. Again, with the lights, a little bit hard to see. But you see the little speck in the middle caught in the sunburst there? The little dot, little white dot. Everybody see it? Great. That's the earth. All right. So Mr. Sagan and others looked at that little dot and said, wow, the universe is so vast. We are so insignificant. There must not be a God out there. Listen to some of his statements that he made about that. He says, our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in a great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, and all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. Now, when I look at that pale blue light, when I look at uh, images that the Hubble telescope can give us now, I come to a very different conclusion than Mr. Sagan. So I'd like you to to look at a really short video that just gives us a quick glimpse of the vastness and beauty of our universe. Take a look at this. Isn't that amazing? You know, I look at images like that and I think, wow, there is a God. And I think of verses like Romans chapter one, verse 20 which says, for ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. And now with technology, we can look beyond that into the universe. And through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities and his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I think evidence for God is clearly visible for all of us. And when I look around our world, and now we have the opportunity to look into the universe, I see God's handiwork everywhere. I actually see it in you. I see it in each and every one of you this morning when I look out and think, you are an amazing creation of God. Uh, I was blown away at every time one of our four kids was born. And I mean, those are just magical moments and out comes this little baby that you know didn't exist like you know 10 months prior to that and then there's this little screaming crying smiling sometimes pooping little thing but wow the miracle of life how did that happen and for me that points to a God who intricately wove us together and then as I look around nature I'm amazed at how perfectly all of nature fits together. Do you realize that we live on a planet that is perfectly positioned for human life any farther away from the sun, any closer to the sun? We could not exist here. Like, to me, that goes, wow, That's amazing. That that can't just happen. That proves to me that there is a designer out there that had handiwork in making that happen perfectly. We look at the laws of physics and those laws fit perfectly together for how we exist and experience our universe. And then when we look out into the vastness of the universe and see how amazingly beautiful And vast that it is, again, for me, I look at that and go, wow, the evidence of God is everywhere. And when I look out at all of that and the vastness of the universe, I do feel kind of insignificant. Like, who are we that God would be concerned about us? But our feelings of insignificance don't mean that we are insignificant. Listen to how significant you are to God. Ephesians Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. I don't, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but you bring God great pleasure. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. Ephesians two ten says, for we are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece. Whether you feel like a masterpiece or not, you are God's masterpiece and he's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. And then James 1 verse 18 says, God chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, a reference to scripture again. And we out of all creation became his prized possession. You are so significant to God that Jesus came to earth to die so that you can have eternal life. Humanity messed up our relationship with God when we first started that relationship and we brought sin into the world. And Jesus said, I'll go fix that. They are so significant. I will go and I will die so they can live. You are significant because God made you, period. So that's just a few of the things that I offer for proofs of God's existence and you may say I don't know but I believe all that and I understand that you may not but I hope that you chew on some of these things and I understand I've just started the conversation I'd like you to carry this conversation on for yourself through some exploration Um, but before I get to that let me ask if you're a Christ follower what proofs do you offer for God's existence When you've got somebody at at work or somebody at home or uh, somebody at school that says, yeah, I just don't believe in God. I got too many objections. Do you engage that conversation? And what proofs do you offer them? Can you clearly articulate what you believe proves God's existence? I think we have a responsibility to do that because this is a major topic. This is not something insignificant. If you aren't a Christ follower... I understand that I may not have fully convinced you this morning. I understand that you may still have some doubts. And uh, what I hope that you'll do with those questions is not just say, hey, I've got questions. I can't get answers and then stop the conversation. I hope that you ask your questions and do some more research because, again, I think there's evidence for God's existence everywhere. And I'd like to offer you some ways that you can explore that evidence. So if you'll stop by our Connection Center before you leave, you you can pick up a copy of our Spiritual Growth Challenge, just a one-page document that we make available each week. It helps us to dig a little bit deeper in what we're talking about on Sundays. And on that document, I've got some great resources that you can look at. I've got some movie recommendations, and I've got some book recommendations. If you've got real questions, you're not the only one. There's a bunch of people that have been asking these questions for a very long time. And there's a bunch of people that have been answering these questions for a very long time. So if you're serious about exploring this, I hope that you'll pick that up before you leave today. Now, the atheist I mentioned earlier, he concluded his article this way. He said, in the end, it all comes down to making a choice. There's no evidence that proves or disproves the existence of God. Probably it'll take hundreds, if not thousands of years to finally figure things out. So until that day of enlightenment, we are left to speculate and choose what we believe in. As for me, I choose not to believe in God. Whatever choice anyone makes, it deserves to be respected. Imposing our beliefs on other people is a disrespectful thing to do. We shouldn't force anyone to join us in what we believe. We shouldn't judge and discriminate because of differences and beliefs neither. Let's embrace our difference and focus on making the world a better place. Because even if you believe in God and I don't, I think we can live peacefully together. And that's what truly matters. Now, I agree with much of what was said in that uh, statement there. I agree that it all comes down to a choice that we all make. I think we all look at the evidence and we all come to our own conclusions. And I don't think that we should judge somebody for their conclusions. I don't think that we should discriminate against somebody for their conclusions. I think we can live at peace with each other. And I think we do have a, a primary task together to make our world a better place I don't think we should force our beliefs on anybody else, but I do think we should share our beliefs with everybody. And if you're a Christ follower, I think you have a responsibility to share what you believe about God and to offer uh, the proofs that you see for God's existence to everybody around you because this is not some insignificant conversation. This is not some insignificant conversation like us trying to decide which candy is the best candy to eat, even though we all know it's Reese's peanut butter cups. (laughs) Right, we all get that, yeah. This isn't an insignificant conversation, so get this. If God does not exist, then Christianity is wrong. But Christians are out nothing. Hopefully we've made the world a better place, Hopefully, we've loved people the way that Jesus wants people to be loved. Hopefully, we've valued people. Again, hopefully, we've made the world a better place to live. But if God does exist, if the Bible is accurate, then those who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus will be out everything for all of eternity. This is a life and death conversation. This is a big one. So if you aren't a Christ follower... I hope you'll continue to explore this. I hope you'll continue to look at the vast evidence that is out there. If you are a Christ follower, I hope that you'll do the same and you'll help others explore that real evidence that I think proves God's existence and his desire to be in a personal relationship with each and every one of us. Now, as we close today... Evan's going to come out and sing kind of a new song for us. And so we're just going to create a space for, for us all to kind of process uh, this message a little bit. And if you are a Christ follower, I hope that you'll use this song as a way to kind of praise God for who he is in your life. And if you aren't a Christ follower, I hope that you'll just enjoy the song. And I hope that you'll determine today to pick up our uh, resource on your way out and do some more exploration. So if you would, join me in prayer. God, this objection of your existence has been a big objection for a long time. A lot of people have said, "I, I just need proof, I need more evidence. And yet God is we look around the world, I just think there's so much evidence that we overlook on many occasions. So Lord, if there's some folks here today who are struggling to believe in you, I I pray that um, you'd reveal yourself to them in in some way this week. Lord, I pray as they uh, seriously explore this critical issue, that they would be able to look at the abundance of evidence that's there and understand that you desire a personal relationship with them that lasts for all of eternity. And Lord, for those who are Christ followers, sometimes we really struggle with clearly articulating proof for you to other people. And so we need to learn how to do that. And I pray that we would. I pray that we would take that seriously because we represent you to the world and we need to be able to help people understand the evidence that points towards you and your love for all of us. So Lord, as this song guides us to sing this morning, because creation will sing your praises, Lord, we need to learn how to do that as well. So thank you for just the opportunity for us to have this conversation today. In Jesus' name, amen.